chapter uh, 21. Uh, we're up to verse 23 through 27. Now, I know it goes a little bit further down, and Christ gives two parables at the end of this, but we're just going to stick with the, the account here uh, to begin with, and then next week we'll look at the first parable and then the second parable the next week, Lord willing. So um, Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 27, it says this, And when he was come unto the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it, from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all held John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father God, thank you so much for this good day you've given to us today. Thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, I pray you would help us today as we uh, look at this section. I pray you would help us to understand a little bit better this power struggle that is going on uh, in the world. And I pray you would help us uh, to be obedient uh, to you, to uh, to yield to your authority in our lives, and, and just to be obedient in every area. Uh, have your will and way in all that we say and do today, and we just want you to be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I've kind of entitled this one a power struggle. Uh, it, it's neat to see where this is, how this has progressed along the way, and I've been doing this uh, for the past several months going back over how do we get to this point. And, and I love to keep remembering what brought Christ to this point. I mean, we were on the road to Jerusalem. They came from Galilee. They had teaching. They were striving back and forth. They get to Jericho. Blind Bartimaeus and his companion get healed. Uh, it appears that Zacchaeus was there, if you look at some of the other Gospels. And he goes and 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 eats with Zacchaeus. And I'm sure when he did that, uh, the Pharisees, the Levites were all going, blah, you know, my pearls, pearls, pearls. Yeah, sorry. I, I revert back to movie lines there. But uh, I'm sure they were just beside themselves. They could, You're going to eat with a sinner? I mean, you can't do that. That's like going to eat with somebody from Arkansas, you know, those, those people down there. You know, it's just right across the creek, but it's in Arkansas. You can't eat with those. Uh, but I'm sure that's how the religious people were. Uh, then he starts going up to, to Jerusalem, and, and he gets close, and they have this meal with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and it appears that it was in maybe in the house of Simon the leper. I'm not sure there who he also healed. But you see all his works that he's done along the way. And then Mary comes out and she anoints his feet with oil. 
And he says, for my bearing has she done this. The whole house was filled with the ointment, the odor of the ointment, so that here everybody is being drawn to him. I mean, when they look around the corner to see what's that smell, they find Jesus. And it's all because of what Mary did. And then he has the triumphal entry. He's probably still got that smell on him from what Mary did the night before. They go into town and he's riding this little colt, this foal, this donkey, and showing his omnipotence that he has all power over nature. And, and he cleanses out the temple. The children are crying out, Hosanna, you know, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you can see this crescendo rising that the the people at the temple the the temple um priests and, and the elders are just getting frustrated with him because they realize he's taking all of our authority everybody's listening to him and not to us uh, we've got to stop him because he is taking our authority um i i came across the quote uh this last week as i was uh, looking at this, and I think it was from uh, uh, let me, uh, Matthew Henry. Uh, he made the statement that uh, those who abuse their power the most cry the loudest when they perceive that someone else is taking their power. Uh, and have we not seen that in our day and age? So just keep in mind what is going on here with Christ. Uh, on Friday, I think it was Friday when I went out with Gaston. Uh, Gaston and I were driving around. We were trying to find a place to eat fish. Uh, we'd gone to a fish fry, but they didn't open up until three o'clock in the afternoon. And then we went to another place, but they were closed because the fish fry was down there. And so we wound up going somewhere else and, and eating. But the, the funny thing was, as we were driving around, uh, we started talking about different things and he made a statement. And it's one that it is quite common uh, in certain circles. Uh, and he made the statement that, well, if they did it to Christ, what can we expect? And I had heard that in the news even just last week. And somebody last week had put that out there. If they, if they crucified Christ, what do you think they're going to do to us? And immediately they started screaming and yelling that this person was an anti-Semite. And we're like, no, that's not the case there. You see how they're trying to take back power and, and they did it to Christ here. So what can we expect? So here Christ has come all this way and now he comes back into the temple and he's teaching in the temple. Who is he teaching? He's teaching the common person, the common man and woman and child that is wanting to hear. He has just cleared out the, the court of Gentiles where anybody can come to listen. And right in the middle of that, and this is how it normally happens, when somebody is doing good, here comes somebody in to say, you can't do that. You don't have the authority to do that here. Why are you doing that here? So we're brought down to this power struggle, and, and, and we see what's going on here. Well, the chief priests and the elders, it says, they came to him, and, and they... It's almost as if they're, they're not even giving him an option. It's they demand of him an answer. You tell us by what authority you're doing this. Now, let's back up just a second. Let's try to name some of the miracles that Jesus has already done. He 
They have seen him. They know that he has fed the 5,000. They know that he has healed lepers. They've had to deal with these lepers. When he says, you go to the temple and you, you offer up the offering for these lepers, for your leprosy, it's interesting because that's the same exact offering that a person would have had to offer up to become a priest. Uh, when they would come in uh, as a young man and they would become a priest, they would have to offer that offering up. And here you've got this, you're from the tribe of Dan and you want to do this? Or you're from the tribe of, uh, of Judah and you want this, this offering? Well, I was a leper and now I'm clean. And so they've had to deal with that. They've dealt with uh, the blind being healed. They've got Lazarus. And I think this is where uh, uh, Gaston and I were talking about. I mean, what do you do when you are confronted with Lazarus? You know, can he really do what he says? He, and then Lazarus stands up and says, um, my name's Lazarus here, and I can testify. He can do what he says he did. Anytime Lazarus walked into a room and said, yes, Jesus is who he says he was, that ended the discussion. That right there should have ended the discussion. But here they come and they say, by what authority? They're overlooking everything already to this point. And I'm sure they are thinking to themselves, first off, if he tells us that I'm here by God, it's God's authority, then we can demand of him a sign. And if he doesn't produce the sign, then he's not of God, and we can claim that. Now, why would they have thought that maybe? Well, down in Luke chapter 11, verse 29, uh, it says, And when the people were gathered to, uh, thick together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonas the prophet. Now, what is this talking about here? Um, they're not going to see this sign until after he is crucified and buried and raised again. And, and so that's when they're going to, to recognize that. And you see that in, in the book of Acts. You see lots of priests and the elders start to come to him, and the Sanhedrin is just beside themselves. What do we do? Uh, we've got to discredit him somehow. On the other hand, if he doesn't say that, if he just keeps silent like he has done before in the past, and, and they've watched him do, if he keeps silent, then they will speak up and interpret his silence is an indication that he has no authority here. Those were probably their two options, what they were thinking along the way, and they were trying to manipulate into what they thought would happen. Well, Jesus being all-knowing, uh, it's fun to watch him operate because he just kind of sidesteps. And, and, and it's fun when you start to watch somebody that is a very good debater with the truth. It doesn't take a whole lot of, of uh, you don't have to be really, really smart when you have the truth on your side. You just have to be able to watch out for those pitfalls and not step into them. Um, you just have to be able to scoot to one side or the other. And that's exactly what Christ does here. Uh, when he says, I also will ask you one thing. Well, what's this one thing? We'll allow a question, uh, which if you tell me, and likewise, I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? Great question to ask back. And, and pay attention to this. How does Christ operate? He doesn't just make a statement. He 
operates with questions most times. Um, when we are dealing with people, questions are a very good thing to, to use because people cannot argue with a question. They have to deal with the question. And even in their subconscious, they're um, trying to find an answer. They're always trying to find that answer. That's just the way that God created us is to try to answer the question that's given to us. So Jesus gives them a question here. The baptism of John the Baptist. Now, who was John the Baptist? We're not going to go all the way back and look at everything that he did here. But who, who were his parents? Did I say that right? Who were his parents? Not who was. Who were his parents? John the Baptist's parents were uh, Zachariah. Did I get that? Zacharias and Elizabeth. And what was Zacharias doing when he found out that they were going to have a child? He was in the temple. He was offering up the prayers for the day. He was one of the priestly lines. And in fact, it says of, of his wife, uh, Elizabeth, she was of the daughters of Aaron. I mean, both sides coming together. They were a very pious, godly family. Uh, he was of the priestly line. And if you study it out just a little bit and see what had been happening politically with the priests up until that point, it was at a certain point going down through, it became political and Herod the Great had stepped in and he had done some shenanigans. We won't get into it all, but he had kind of diverted it. Uh, Evan, you and I have talked about how that you know, there at a point, the priests were going in and they're having to drag them out with a rope every year. They're dying because they're not ready. And, you know, this is a very important task that they have here. And it appears that it had gotten subverted. And so the people that were priests really shouldn't have been the ones that were priests. They had seized that power and... Were they doing what they were supposed to be doing? I don't know. I'm not the one to judge here. But they had been living for a while. And you see, you have um, Caiaphas and Anna, Annas, uh, the high priest and his father-in-law. And they are just dictating what goes on there. They don't want to lose control of this power because, you know, they've got a good thing going on here. But... They see that John the Baptist was of the right line, uh, so he was of the, the law. But then you also realize down in uh, John chapter 1, you see him start to preach. And the message that he brings forth, he says, uh, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Uh, he was a prophet, so he's got both the law and the prophets. And if they're not going to hear him, who would they hear? I mean, what kind of evidence would you have to bring if you got, here's the law, this is what the law says, and here's what the prophets say, and I match up to both of them, and you're still not listening to me? Where else do we go? I mean, what do you want? <laughs> really? Uh, what could I do for you? Uh, Jesus said, John came, uh, you know, morning, and you didn't like that, and I come eating and drinking, and you don't like that. Uh, what can we do for you? It really doesn't work. But it's a power struggle here because they don't want to acknowledge John the Baptist's power because what did John the Baptist tell them to do? What was his message to them? Repent. Turn away. Bring forth fruits meet for repentance. Do 
what is right here, not just what sounds right on the surface or what you can justify. I mean, some of the things that they were justifying by the law. Uh, you don't have to help your parents that are old. You can give it to the temple. Yeah. And they were stealing people's livelihoods. I mean, just wicked, wicked things. And, and so Jesus, he brings that back into their face. He says, John the Baptist was his baptism, the right baptism. Now, what does baptism have to do with any of this? I think this is interesting because that's just where we're going this week with discipleship. And, and it's funny how God brings these all together sometimes. But what was baptism all for? Well, why did Christ need to be baptized in the first place? Did he need to repent of anything? Robert, do you think he needed to repent? Did he ever sin? Did he ever talk back to his mom or dad? Uh, I don't think so. He didn't need to repent. But why did he get baptized? It was to fulfill all righteousness so that everything would be done right, so that he was under the law and the prophets. He wasn't trying to do away with the law and the prophets. He was fulfilling the law and the prophets. He was bringing this back so that everything was done precisely right so that when people pointed to him, they could not come up with an accusation. I mean, he came before the priests, the high priest in the Sanhedrin, and, and what was their accusation against him? Blasphemy. You have made yourself God. Well, that's exactly what the Old Testament said he would be, even though they misinterpreted that. And to this day, they still misinterpret it. They still look at it and say, well, he was supposed to be more political and not religious. Is our need really political? I mean, uh, how long has the United States been around? 240 years or so? I mean, not a very long time. And, and will it pass away? Absolutely. How long did the Third Reich last? Uh, it was supposed to last a thousand years, and it lasted 11 or 12 or 13, something like that. You know, it, it didn't last very long at all. Uh, you look at the Soviet Union. I mean, this big swath of land. And how long was it supposed to stick together? It lasted, what, 70 years, maybe, you know, uh, about that. You look at all these political things, and we get so caught up with the political, and we forget that the most important thing is the spiritual. Because the Bible tells us that we'll spend eternity one place or another, either in heaven or in hell. And, and if we don't get it right, if we don't submit to the right authority, where do we spend eternity? Um, so here Christ is, is bringing them back to this, this idea that John the Baptist, his baptism, submitting to his authority, that was an important thing. That's why Christ submitted to his authority, was to make sure that he is... What did Hebrews tell us? And this isn't even in my notes, but Hebrews says that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. If Christ can learn obedience, can we not learn obedience? We hate that, that word, though. We hate to have to deal with that. And here Christ had brought them to this place of, of being forced to deal with. You're rejecting God, and, and it's because of the people's opinion. Because you look down here and you see, if we say that it's of God, they're in a dilemma. We have to repent if we say it was of God. Otherwise, we're fighting against God. 
Uh, Gamaliel brought that up in Acts. Uh, we don't want to be fighting against God here. If we say it was of men, everybody recognized that he was a prophet sent from God. We can't argue that. So they are brought into this dilemma, and Jesus backs up and says, I'm not answering this question because you're being just disingenuous. And it brings me to this, uh, this, this next point. Jesus became like a mirror to them. Jesus became like a mirror to them. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 26 and 27, it says this, With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful, and with the upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure, and with the forward thou wilt show thyself unsavory. Um, when we look at, and I've asked this, to other people when I'm out talking, when I'm out witnessing, you come across an atheist and they look around, how could God create all of this? It's so chaotic and so disordered. And I'm like, we're not looking at the same thing, are we? I mean, we have spring, summer, fall and winter every year. It doesn't go, well, some, some years it goes, Winter, summer, spring, fall, summer, winter, you know, it, 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 it does. you can pretty much predict what it's going to be like. Um, why do they keep saying that we have the highest, you know, global warming that's going on right now? It's because for the last, what, 70 years or so, we've been uh, tracking the weather and we know what today was, what the weather, the temperature was for the last 70 years. Don't go back too much further than that. But for about the last 70, 100 years, we've been tracking the weather very, very carefully. We know what it's supposed to do. It's predictable. Uh, in fact, when I was in, in high school, one of my friends in high school, his science project for the end of the year was to track the weather every day for a year. And he had this whole graph and this chart. And boy, he had to be home at a certain time to take the weather down from yeah, and it was just, you know, you you can, can't you just call him up and get that? You don't have to be home for the weather every day. But that's what he did every day. He watched the weather just to, to take down, this is what happened yesterday. This is what should happen tomorrow. Uh, this is what happened last year. And, and he was trying to bring and predict how things should, should flow. And, and we look at that and we say, there's order to it, and yet we look at nature and people say there's no order to it. It's all chaotic. It's, there's no God, and we're not looking at the same thing because when they look at it, they see a picture of what God has done, and they say, eh, because I don't like God, I don't want there to be a God. In fact, I wrote this down about these people. Because they were dishonest with their motives, they were not able to see Christ's true motives because they were hiding their motives, their glory and their power. They couldn't see that Christ's motives were the honor or the glory of the Father. And because they refused to confess their sin, they could only see Jesus' alleged sins. Do you see how that mirrors there? How that when, when, when we confess our sins, and we humble ourselves, he becomes so gracious. And when we put up that wall and say, no, I have the right to do this, he becomes 
hard and he becomes like a tyrant because we're being like a tyrant there. And so it's that power struggle going on. Um, I've seen this in my family a, a few times, uh, especially with Cameron when he was a little bit smaller. It was so much fun because when he was smaller, uh, he would get mad at me at times. And I would put out my hand and I would put it on his forehead and he's trying to kick me and he's trying to hit me and I'm just holding him back, just laughing at him. And I'm resisting him. But as soon as he gave it up and, and was willing to, okay, you've won, then we could hug and we could have a good time. Do you think God's any different than that? You know, the Bible tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And when we look at our lives, what are we being with him? Uh, and, and I know in, in our congregation, we're saved. But in our lives, there are things that need to be changed in each and every one of our lives. And for those that are watching, I don't know who all has done what, but you've got to realize that there is a power struggle going on. And Satan is trying to get us to start pushing against God and, and the authorities that God has set up in our lives. And when we surrender to his authority and surrender to what he wants in our lives, just give it up. It brings so much peace because the peace that he has comes back to us. That mirror effect goes on there. But when we're resisting him, he starts resisting us. And what happens? We don't know what to do then. So what can we learn from this? What can we learn from this little thing? There's so many things. Uh, you know, First off, just be obedient. When Christ tells us to submit, we should be willing to submit and do whatever he tells us to do. Uh, we should understand that there is always a power struggle going on. And the first and most important power struggle that is going on is that power struggle in our hearts. That who is going to sit on the throne of our heart? Is it us? Or is it God? Uh, it, is it our flesh that's going to be in control? Or is it going to be the spirit that's going to be in control? Who is going to rule over our, our hearts? In Romans chapter uh, 6, verse 13, it says this, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. I love that word yield there. Um, it reminds me of what we do when we drive. Oftentimes we yield to another car. Even when we have the right of way, sometimes you just yield to the other car because if you don't, what will happen? You're in an accident. Uh, your whole day gets messed up if you don't yield, even when you have, you have the right of way. Uh, there's a place there in, in Schwetzingham right there close to the Bonhoeff, that it looks like a roundabout, but it's not really a roundabout. And it, I've, I've almost witnessed a few accidents there because people are unwilling to yield to the oncoming traffic when they're supposed to yield. Uh, that's one of the toughest things. It's also tough for us to yield to God and say, okay, I give up. I can't control this. This is in your hands, God. I will do what you tell me to do, whatever it is. There's a power struggle for our families as well. Uh, do you realize that Satan wants our families? They, he wants control over our families any way he can get it. Uh, and it's so funny to me because I've heard so many times, even just this last 
what, two weeks ago when we were at camp, the young people would come up and they would start talking about, and, and there's a particular one that I'm thinking of right now, but uh, he'd say, Brother Clark, you don't know my, da my dad, boy, the things that my dad did, and I'm supposed to honor him? I'm like, yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're supposed to honor your dad, even though he has hurt you and abandoned you and left you behind, you're supposed to honor him. And, and some of these kids, their dads go back down to Africa. They've got mom, you know, a wife here in Europe. They go back to Africa and get another wife there. And it's just, it's confusion. And, and what are the kids supposed to do? Guys, just do what the Bible tells you to do. Honor your parents and, and do the best you can to honor them, even though they're not doing what they're supposed to do. You can only answer for yourself. But do you see how Satan is trying to destroy the family? Because if he can destroy the family, he can destroy so much more. I mean, when a family gets destroyed, who all gets hurt in the family? Well, the kids get hurt uh, in the family if the dad goes off track. And the wife gets hurt if the dad goes off track. And the dad is hurt. And then usually the parents are hurt uh, of, of the couple. And, and it just, there's this whole bubble that it messes up because of this power struggle that's going on here when, when Satan gets control of a family. And sometimes he gets control of a family by the children taking control. We've all been at the store and we've watched children take control of their families. And it's just, I want this thing. Okay, whatever. Just shut up. And they know how to get control. Um, you know, we don't have little kids anymore. So, uh, you know, I don't feel in danger that they're going to come and say, you did it wrong here. But, you know, they might say I did it wrong. But I, I remember with our oldest, she would start throwing a fit. And there were just some good ways to get her to stop. I, I would look at her and, come on, a little bit louder. If you would cry a little bit louder, almost, I'm almost ready to give it. No, no, not quite. Oh, come on. You can do better than that. Oh, she would get so mad and red in the face. You know, what do you do? What do you do? But then we had another daughter and she would put her head down on the ground and just start scooting along. She looked like a little Indian girl. You know, she had this little red dot right there all the time because she'd throw her head down on the ground. Wherever she was, we could be at the park and in the grass and there she goes scooting her head along the ground. We could be at church and just right there on the floor and her head scooting across the floor. And we, way to go, keep it up. And she'd just keep going further and we'd have to pick her up and then she's, you know, Okay, and then we, one of our other daughters, the only way to get through with her, uh, just sorry to use this terminology, we just kept spanking. It just, she would not give up. And I think you all know who that daughter is, but she just would not give up. And it's just, you've got to learn, especially as a father, how to get through to those kids because each one is different. But Satan is trying to get their hearts and trying to control your family through your kids. Wives, he's trying to control you. And what does the Bible tell us to do there? Submit, just submit. He tells us as husbands, submit to the Lord. He tells wives to submit to the husbands. We're supposed to submit. That's what Christ is wanting from us. We should understand also, not only is there power struggle for our lives and our families, 
but for our church. Satan is always trying to destroy the church and the government. Uh, you see how he is infiltrated and worked his way in, and there's always a power struggle there for that. We should also understand how to be wise in what we are uh, confronting in the conflict. Um, there's a wise way to do things, and then there's a foolish way to do things. And oftentimes we pick the most foolish way to react in a situation. Um, it's been interesting. Uh, I know Friday, it was just a master class. I was with Gaston and then with Frank, and, and it seemed like every time I turned around, oh yeah, we studied that in, in Proverbs. Oh yeah, we read that in Proverbs. If we wanna know how to respond wisely in a situation, go through Proverbs over and over and over. There was a young man at, at camp and I told him, I said, you need wisdom. You just need to be wise. I can tell that you don't know how to operate. You need to get into Proverbs. You need to start reading Proverbs day in, day out, trying to get some wisdom here. And, and you could tell the kids that paid attention to Proverbs acted wisely. The ones that didn't, they were left out. Uh, but we need to learn to, to be wise in the way we do things. James, though, James chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, Submit your, yourself, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Being wise sometimes just means to just stand and resist. Stand and say, no, you will not go through me. Um, I love the, the line on uh, Lord of the Rings where you've got Gandalf. You will not pass. You will not get past me. And, and you know, we look at it as a joke. I love it in the German. Uh, du kannst nicht vorbei. You know, it's so much better in the German than in the English. But when you look at that and you see, didn't Christ do that for us? He resisted the devil. He put up that fight. And, and haven't we watched that in other people's lives? And we love to see how they just resisted. They stood stood firm. Think about Daniel, how he resisted. Think about the uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they resisted, and they just stood firm. And we don't care what you do to us. We will not bow down. And they've been honored all these years. Uh, think about Stephen in the New Testament and, and how he just preached the gospel, and he would not bow down. They killed him, uh, but he still, he was resisting there. That's what we need to do sometimes. Resist the devil, whether it's in our personal life, our family life, or in our church, uh, we need to resist. And then the last thing, we should submit to the person uh, with all authority or with all power, uh, that's Christ. In, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. When you read that, who has all authority, who has all power? It's Christ. We need to submit to him. Whatever he asks us to do, if he came in and asked us, can you go without lunch today? What will we tell him? Sure, we can, we can go without one meal, right? I mean, Robert, could you go without one meal today? it'd be tough, but we could do it for him, couldn't we? If he came in and said, 
you know, I want you to obey your mom. I want you to clean your room. Could you do that? Would it be harder to clean your room than to, to, I mean, and you think about those little things, but when you start obeying in the little things, it's neat how they, they start to build up and it turns into the big things. And then when you do come to the big crisis, you're ready for it because you've been obedient all along the way. So if we would just learn to be obedient to him, to yield to him, uh, have we yielded ourselves by confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord? Maybe there's somebody that's watching that's never done that. Uh, that's something that you need to do. I mean, if, if you don't do that, where do you wind up? Have you yielded yourself in baptism? Like what he mentioned there, uh, the baptism of John the Baptist. He had yielded himself. Why wouldn't we yield ourselves if we're his followers? And are we yielding ourselves day by day by telling of the wonderful things that he's done in our lives? Just being a testimony, this is what God has done in my life. What could he do in yours? I mean, uh, being a witness of the things that he has done. We need to yield to him and, and stop pushing against him like the elders, the Pharisees, this whole religious class. They looked religious but they were so far away from what they needed to be. We don't want to be like that. We want to be sincere in our following of God. I hope that that's a help to us this week in just being practical and moving forward. So let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Dear Father God, thank you so much for your love to us. Thank you for the way that you care for us. Thank you for the way that you have provided for us. You provided a way of salvation. Uh, we couldn't do that on our own. Only you could provide that for us, and we thank you so much for that. And Lord, we, we look at the way that, that you've ordered things in the world today, and we know that this world is out of order. It's, it's going in the wrong direction. And Lord, I pray you just help us to submit ourselves to you. Help us to yield to your authority in every area of our lives, uh, and, and just help us to live that out. Uh, I know it will be difficult because... Most of us have, have been living in a way that um, just matches up with what we see around us. And, and it, it's so difficult sometimes uh, to walk in the Spirit. We're just not, so, we're not used to that. And Lord, I pray you would help us uh, that we would just learn to take step after step, walking in the Spirit, following you, and yielding ourselves to you. Uh, have your will and way in all that we say and do. Lord, if there's someone watching that they don't know you as their personal Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they turn and start following you. Uh, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.